0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Today, we are joined by another very special guest. We have Kayla Beckman with us, a registered dietitian and a fellow Purdue grad. So cheers to that. Um, And we have a very awesome episode planned today. So we're going to go over with Kayla all about um, dieting, diet culture, which you guys know that Emily and I are very passionate about as well. So it'll be so good to also get another RD's perspective on all of that. So that's what we got planned for today. Kayla, thank you for being on
2: the pod. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love your guys'
0: podcast. I've listened to like every episode. (laughs) Oh, we love that. Yes. So to kind of get us started, we always like letting you guys talk about kind of what you do and what your kind of job looks like from the day to day, as well as if you want to touch on any of your background and education, as well as any fun hobbies that you like to do in your free time.
2: Yeah. Um so I went to Purdue with um Emily and Hannah um, and went through the coordinated program with Hannah. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um <laughs> that was of it. <laughs> um And after I graduated, I became a dietitian and then got a job at a nursing home and rehabilitation facility. Um, And so I'm still with the same company, but I actually just uh, changed buildings. So I'm in a new building now um, and loving it. Um, So... You know, I work with a lot of different people. I work with a lot of different ages, mostly, you know, the geriatric population, but definitely we see some younger people come in. Um, And being a dietitian at a nursing home is you kind of wear a lot of hats. Um, I I think a lot of my family and friends still don't really understand what I do. Um, (laughs) It's not making diet plans, um, and telling old people to eat vegetables. Um, I get that a lot. Um,
1: <laughs> I,
2: you know, assess every new resident, um, I'm assessing their nutritional status. Um, weight loss is a really big problem in that population and weight loss can lead to malnutrition, which can lead to a lot of poor outcomes. Um, especially when a lot of these people come in and they have a ton of different, you know, disease states. Um, And so malnutrition can kind of just add on to that and make their outcome worse. Um, So I assess for that. I assess, you know, what diet they should be on, um, if they need any nutrition supplements. And then I'm also responsible for any tube feeding residents we have. Um, So at my old building, I was managing like 10 tube feeds. Um, It was a lot. At this one, I only have one, so it's not quite as hectic. (laughs) Um, So I'm responsible for that. Um, I'm responsible for ordering all of our um, um, tube feed supplies and all of the nutrition supplements. And then I also work hand in hand with the culinary manager of the building um, overseeing the kitchen and everything that goes on there. Um, so it's a lot and I wear a lot of different hats, but I love it and I love my residence. Um, there's never a dull day in a nursing home. It's always crazy, always something new. Um, you're always meeting new people with just really cool life stories. Um, And so that's awesome. So that's what I do during the day. Um, And that's a lot of craziness. Um, In my spare time, I like to bake. Um, I actually decorate cakes. Um, So I do like wedding cakes and birthday cakes. Um, That was actually a career path of mine for a little bit. Um, I took a couple years off Purdue and pursued that for a little bit until I realized I wanted to be a dietitian and then went back to Purdue. Um, but I still do that on the side, mostly for family and friends. Um, and if I'm not doing that, I am hanging out with my dog Bentley or, um, probably obsessing over something about sharks. Um, (laughs) I love sharks. I actually um, just cage dived with some sharks at the Georgia Aquarium. It was the coolest thing ever.
1: (laughs) That is awesome. Yes,
2: it was awesome. It was so cool. I highly recommend going to the Georgia Aquarium if you're ever in Atlanta.
1: Okay, well, let's jump right in. This is going to be such a good episode. I'm so excited. But our first question for you, Kayla, is to kind of kick us off. How would you define dieting? And how would you define diet culture? and How they kind of like intermingle? Yeah, definitely.
2: So dieting, I would say is when you're regulating your consumption of foods and beverages with the intention of weight loss. So it's kind of you know, managing what you're eating and what you're drinking because you have a goal of weight loss, um, and then diet culture. Um, kind of a definition that I is like official definition. Um, diet culture refers to a set of beliefs that values thinness, appearance, and shape above health and well-being. Um, and so I think when I say that, some people might be, while well, I lose weight to get healthy. And so I think it's important to understand that with diet culture, it you know, kind of equates thinness and dieting and weight loss with health and morals and values and someone's worth. Um, and that's not the same thing. Those aren't the same things. Um, and so that's kind of where diet culture comes in. And when someone is dieting, I guess that's kind of a tricky thing. I guess I wouldn't necessarily say they're automatically in diet culture, um, but it's probably a really fine line. Um, So, you know, diet culture also, you know, it demonizes foods, particular foods or food groups or um, types of food like organic versus non-organic, that kind of thing. Um, And then particular ways of eating. Um, and it assumes that those who don't meet the thin idea or the picture of health, um, you know, that they're unhealthy and that they're not promoting in any, or participating in any health promoting behaviors because they don't meet that picture of what diet culture says health looks like.
0: Um,
2: And so there's also kind of this new thing that I think our generation is kind of jumping into, like the wellness culture, um, which is a part of diet culture. It just disguises itself, so it doesn't seem like it is. Um, Wellness culture kind of trying to say that they aren't focused on weight or... um, weight loss, but they're still demonizing certain foods or, you know, producing fear over certain foods and guilt over eating certain foods. Um, I think a popular one with that would be clean eating. I hear that all the time. It's so annoyed. <laughs> like my first response when I hear that, well, what is clean eating? Like, what does that mean to you? Because that means nothing to me other than I wash my fruits and vegetables. So (laughs) um, that's such a popular term and it always makes my blood boil. (laughs) It's like,
1: what does that even mean? It's so frustrating. Yes. And I feel with wellness culture too, along with demonizing foods, they also glorify foods that shouldn't be glorified. Like the whole lemon water thing, for example, clean eating, like you just said, I don't know. I can give another example, but like they – Demonize foods that are apparently bad, and then they glorify foods that are good, and both of those are just flawed. Neither of those should be occurring. Uh, an example
0: of what, like Hannah, um, something I thought was like superfoods. Oh yeah, or like one food can do all these amazing things.
1: Exactly, like with the lemon water, for example. Like they claim that it can help with weight loss. It can help with your pH even though you shouldn't want to move your pH but whatever um it can help with like boosting your metabolism like all these things when whether those are true or not I guess I'm simply gonna say they're not true but you can't glorify a food for doing those things because no one food can magically be a cure-all
2: Exactly, especially like apple cider vinegar oh
1: it's another good one Mm -hmm. They, they started to make it into gummies and I'm like why like I have so many patients that take those. It's insane the amount of times I would say you don't have to take those unless you want to. They're basically just expensive, kind of gross candy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. So, kind of, we've already discussed kind of what diet culture is, what dieting is, but people are maybe wondering, like, why are these all bad things? So, Kayla, would you be able to go over maybe like a couple of the most popular? most frequently seen negative effects of dieting and diet culture in kind of everyday life?
2: Definitely. Um, So I think the first one I'm going to say is kind of a shocking one. And most people, when they hear it, they're like, what are you talking about? So dieting is the number one predictor of weight gain. So two thirds of people will regain the weight that they lost. Um, And I think Somewhere there might be a time frame with that. Um, But I think that can be shocking for people to hear because dieting is for weight loss. Um, But dieting is the number one predictor of weight gain. Um, And it all kind of, for a variety of reasons. Um, So dieting can lead to increased binge eating. It can decrease your metabolic rate. Um, and it can increase your preoccupation with foods. It can increase your feelings of deprivation, increase your sense of failure, um, and decrease your sense of willpower. And so I think all of those kind of go into, you know, the, the weight regain um, process. Um, and I think one of the biggest, like, examples of this is with The Biggest Loser Show, um, and I'm sure you guys have heard of this. Um, <laughs> but they did a study on um some of the contestants of the biggest loser, um, and found that after you know they had lost the significant amounts of weight in you know a somewhat short time period, um they had decreased leptin levels, which leptin is the hormone that kind of um tells you when you're full. So when it's lower, you're going to feel hungry. And when it's higher, you're going to feel full. Um, And they also had slower metabolism. So all of these contestants regained all of the weight they lost. Um, And it's because they had these decreased leptin levels and this lower metabolism. But the thing is, even after they regained all their weight, their hormone levels and their metabolism didn't return to what it was prior to when they lost weight. So that's important because you have these people that lost a tremendous amount of weight and then gained it back. And so they're at this large size, but their body is still only needing the amount of calories and energy that they needed at the smaller size. Mm -hmm. So staying at that weight and losing weight is even harder than it was before. And that's why they gained the weight back. Um, even though you know they were eating less food than they were before and so you know the biggest loser show like that's that's not necessarily everyone on a daily basis not everyone goes on a show and loses that much weight but those things still show and people that do you know lose large amounts of weight with dieting um, so you know that's one of the examples why it causes, um, weight gain. Um, also with the increased binge eating, um, so 49% of people that go on a diet will have a post diet binge or binges. So, you know, you go on a diet and you lose the weight and you're happy, you know, you met your goal, whatever. And so now what do you do? Well, most people stop the diet because a lot of times people go on fad diets that aren't sustainable. (laughs) So they stop the diet and they start introducing the foods that they cut out and they had cut them out for so long that their body is craving them and they're craving them. And so they binge on these foods and they go on binges of these foods that they didn't let themselves have for such a long time. And so they regain weight. Um, and you know all of this you know comes with the preoccupation with food um, and f- like those feelings of deprivation and i think I think that one is easy ed- easy to understand because you know when someone goes on a diet and they maybe they're cutting out carbs or cutting out sugar or whatever they're doing that first week, that's all they want. I know I can't have this, so all I want is this. A lot of times that causes someone to maybe fail a diet. Well, I don't want to say fail a diet. Um, <laughs> they start having these things in their in their diet again, and they feel like they've failed, um, and so they quit or, you know, something, binge or something like that. Um, and so that, it really takes a toll on someone's mental health. You feel like a failure because well, this person lost weight on this diet or, you know, this is supposed to work for me and it's not, I must be a failure. No, you're not. (laughs) It's the diet that is failing you. Um, And all of this, you know, can really kind of lead to the diet cycle um, or yo-yo dieting, which can cause weight cycling, which I feel like is really where we see a lot of the health problems associated with dieting is with this weight cycling. So the diet cycle is, um, you know, kind of the first step. Someone wants to lose weight to be thin or to get healthy. Um, And then they go on a diet and then they have increased cravings and urges for those foods that they're not letting themselves have and feel like they have reduced self-control around those foods. And then they lose the self-control that they have tried to have with these foods give into cravings. They start overeating and binging. Um, A lot of times I think this starts as cheat days, which I hate. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, and then you regain the weight that you lost. Um, And I think a lot of times when I try to explain this to someone, it can be hard to understand because, I think people are thinking that all of this happens in a short time frame. And the thing is, these can happen for like over a span of years. So you can lose the amount of weight you want in six months and you can keep it off for a year or two or three years. But then these things start to come back and you regain that weight. And maybe it's four or five late years later, but you've still regained the weight and maybe even more. And so you go on another diet and then it starts all over again. So it may not be like a constant, you know, month to month thing. For some people it is. But for a lot of people it's not. It's It happens over a span of years and it's a little bit harder to understand because of that because they don't see it immediately like oh you're crazy no I'm not going to regain this weight you probably will it'll probably be in like three or four years (laughs) and then you're going to start all over again um and that's where a lot of the health problems come in is with that weight cycling um on another spectrum of that um dieting can increase the risk of developing an eating disorder So, 35% of dieters um, will develop disordered eating, which is not an eating disorder. Um, It's behaviors that are unhealthy and that might be similar to an eating disorder, but it's not an actual diagnosable eating disorder. Um, It's not quite on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 30 to 45% 45% of those people will go on to develop an eating disorder, um, which is definitely not what we want.
0: Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I think um, you did a really great job of covering almost every single basis. I think <laughs> of what route you can go with the negative side effects of dieting. And I'm really glad you talked about how that yo-yo dieting or dieting s- cycle isn't, within just a month. Um, I think the time frame is the two thirds gain it back, the weight back in two years. Okay. I'm not a hundred percent confident on that, but I believe that is it. Um, Cause yeah, like some people become chronic dieters throughout their entire life where they look back and they're like, Oh, the last like 20 years has been really hard to lose weight. And that's kind of such a huge part of their life where like their relationship with food is probably distorted, their relationship with their body, and it's not, um, dieting is not a one fix. One. Well, I don't know the phrase. <laughs> like when, like, you fix this one thing and then everything else kind of falls into place, um, you'll most likely fall back into that cycle. We hope you don't. We perfect world, you wouldn't, but. Unfortunately, that is a common side effect. That was actually a perfect segue into our next talking point is we talk about how people become chronic dieters. We can talk about how they can experience a diet cycle or like three or four years. What can they do to kind of break that cycle? Yeah, dietitian approved tactics.
2: <laughs> um, so I think number one for me, um, I'll let you guys chime in after because I, I know, actually, I know, Hannah, you probably have other things, but so intuitive eating um, definitely would be the number one thing. Um, It's definitely what helped break me out of diet culture um, before I became a dietitian. Um, So I know it works. And I think you guys had a episode on intuitive eating. Yes. So I didn't want to like go into depth on intuitive eating because it could take like 10
0: episodes.
2: Yeah. So the definition from the intuitive eating website, which is created um, by the creators of intuitive eating, which are two dietitians um, intuitive eating is a self care eating framework, which integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. Um, mm-hmm. And is a weight-inclusive, evidence-based model um, with a validated assessment scale, which is probably just important for us. Um, and then th- the definition from the NEDA website, which is the National Eating Disorder Association: um, intuitive eating is about trusting your inner body wisdom to make choices around food that feel good in your body, without judgment and without influence from diet culture. Um, So there's 10 principles to intuitive eating, and I'm not going to go into any of them, but the purpose of them are to help you normalize your relationship with food and with your body. Um, And so, you know, kind of one big thing I didn't touch on and negative things about dieting is the relationship you develop with your body and with body image um, and body dysmorphia. Um, But I think that Intuitive eating is growing, and I think a lot more people are hearing about it, um, which is good and awesome, but that also means that people can spin it and make it what they want it to be. Um, I think some people are trying to make it into a diet um, or make it another weight loss tool, and that's not what it is. It's not meant for weight loss. It's not a diet. Um it really is to help you repair your relationship with food and with you know your mind and with your body. Um another common thing um I think it it gets a wrap for is that it's just eating whatever the hell you want, when you want. Um and that's really not what it is. You're not just giving up on nutrition. And saying, screw nutrition, all the science, you know, is bullshit, whatever. It's not just giving up or eating with reckless abandonment. Um, It's giving unconditional permission to eat with curiosity and non-judgment. So you're removing the stigma and the guilt and the fear around food that a lot of people develop when they diet or when they go on diets. So, you know, they they have these stigma about um carbs or sugar or um, something else that's popular right now. I don't <laughs> like so any
0: cute. food.
2: Every food is demonized Basically at some point. Every food
0: in the world, yeah.
2: <laughs> some diet has has uh demonized it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is, you know, kind of taking that away and helping you learn to eat from a place of curiosity and a place of non-judgment. Um, you know, what do I, what do I want right now? What does my body want? What can I give my body and give myself that I know is going to satisfy it, that I know is going to fill me up? Um, and that has nutrients in it that I need. Um, and that's not always the case. You can eat foods um, that maybe don't have a lot of micronutrients, um, but you can eat them because you want them and you don't have to feel guilty about eating them. Um, yeah, so that's kind of intuitive eating in a very broad nutshell.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I do feel like that's one of the biggest ways that it's spun, intuitive eating is the whole you can eat whatever you want on this diet situation. And that's one of the biggest things I like to emphasize with intuitive eating is it is eating whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that you're going to always want to eat donuts and brownies and cookies. The goal is to eventually heal your thoughts around foods that you actually, I know it sounds crazy, but you actually will crave those nutrient dense foods as well as those other foods that are more nourishing for like our soul than our actual body health, if that makes sense.
2: Yes, definitely. I was trying to explain this to someone a while ago um, and they were kind of throwing that back at me. Well, if I let myself eat donuts, then I'm going to eat it every single day. And it's hard to understand because that person isn't, is still stigmatizing that food. Is it a word? Stigmatizing? I think so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's really hard to comprehend, um, especially if you're not someone who is ready to jump into it and ready to get on board with it. Um, So yeah, it can be hard to explain to people, but that's yeah.
1: (laughs) And like, if you are just starting it, you might have that period where you do overeat those foods that have been forbidden in your life for so long. But that doesn't mean that once you are a full-blown intuitive eater, that's going to be your life forever. It just is going to be a learning curve for sure. A hundred percent.
0: And if you're eating donuts every day, I could bet you're not going to feel good. Exactly. Right.
2: Okay. That's, right. <laughs> that's what I said. Like you're not, you are not want to. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 100. percent. want a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people like that is hard. Like that first process of starting intuitive eating, you're letting yourself have all these foods, and a lot of times you do overeat these foods, and that's okay. That doesn't make you unhealthy. Like. A week's worth of your eating or even a month's worth of your eating habits does not define your health it It doesn't <laughs> you like think in years and it's really the lifespan of your habits that are are having an impact of on your health
1: Absolutely. Oh, yeah so true,
2: so good <laughs> intuitive eating um so also another thing I would say. Um, is removing weight from the focus, which is hard to do, especially in diet culture, (laughs) where attaining a certain weight and attaining a certain body shape and body size is what's seen as good and um, beautiful and attractive and all of those things. Um, But if your goal is, because I always hear when I ask someone why they want to lose weight, oh, I want to get healthy, Well, what does healthy mean to you? So if your goal is to get healthy, then we're not going to focus on your weight. So take weight, take that number out of your focus, put it on a back burner or completely take it off the stove um, and really understand that health is an individual thing. Each of us needs different things. Um, each of us learn in different ways each of us eat in different ways and that's okay that's what makes food awesome like the fact that we all eat differently and like different foods and have different taste buds um and we grow up eating different foods like i think that's awesome like why would you want to go on a diet and change the way you've eaten your whole life um Health is an individual thing and eating is an individual thing. It's not a one size fits all. That's why I hate meal plans and diet plans. (laughs) Um, They're necessary in some cases, but for most people, I hate them. Um, So what's healthy for someone may not be healthy for you. A diet that works for someone isn't going to work for you. It's not going to work for anyone. Um, And definitely understand that. You know being thin does not necessarily equal being healthy um, we're all meant to be at different weights we're all meant to be different body sizes and body shapes um We're not all meant to look the same and and be the same weight and have the same size. A healthy weight for me might be different for a healthy weight for someone else who is the same age and gender and height as me. And that's okay. Um, We all kind of have a set point where our body feels good and it's functioning well and it's healthy as in all of those things. Plus, you know, our, our blood work looks great. Um, We don't have any nutrient deficiencies. Um, So everyone has this different weight where they feel good and I think that's so important to understand and to kind of learn where that is for you, because for some people, for a lot of people, that weight isn't going to be um, maybe the weight that you want to be at. Um, and that's really important to understand because going back to being thin doesn't always mean being healthy. Losing weight doesn't always mean getting healthy. Um, You know, along with that, um, you know, when people lose weight, it's not always because they're trying to lose weight. Um, A lot of people might lose weight because they are sick, because they've had a death of someone they love. Um, Maybe they're struggling with a mental illness. Maybe they have an eating disorder. Um, And I always like to promote not commenting on someone's body or someone's weight loss or weight gain because you don't know the reason behind it. You don't know if it was intentional or not. Um, And it could be a really serious thing that they have going on in their life. And that's why they lost weight. And now you're telling them that, oh, wow, you look great. You lost weight. Well, they didn't mean to lose weight. And they actually have this major thing happening in their life. But now you've told me that I look great, so I have to stay at this size or I don't look great. Um, that's such an important thing to understand, too. Like, we don't need to comment on other people's bodies or weight loss or weight gain. Just keep the tears up. Um <laughs>
0: Oh. everything you just said <laughs> like, <laughs> yes there's so many more interesting to talk about yeah than right? someone's weight <laughs> yes just keep it to yourself mm-hmm. so those are all amazing ways that people can kind of get out of this diet cycle and additionally you don't have to do it alone which is another thing there's a really there's a lot of awesome support groups online you can follow there's so many anti-diet culture dietitians on social media it would be hard not to find
1: one (laughs) that's a really try
0: yeah um and also if you need that personalized help you can always seek out a dietitian um maybe google dietitians near me i am like not sure how to find us I okay. feel like
2: there's some kind of website that shows like intuitive eating dietitians
0: oh yes that too yeah does that yes. sound familiar <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: that's a thing we can link that below we'll link that below yeah I'm only like we're a mystery <laughs> I feel like most people find like in general people like like dietitians who do this like online I think is the biggest thing like social media. Yeah. Like you yeah. find someone you love on Instagram, they have a program they offer or one on one counseling, and people often just go through it that way. Yeah. And even but, if they don't have any that like
0: advertised, you can always message them, be like, Do you know anyone true. that you can refer me to? And then there you go. So I'm kind of leading into, <laughs> I was eventually getting there to the <laughs> next talking point. Um, my transitions are just never great, but Kayla. <laughs> It bullying me, but it's Emily okay. great at transitions. <laughs> um, Kayla, how can everyone kind of as healthcare professionals, um, personal trainers, medical providers, anyone that might be working with someone who is struggling with diet culture? What can we do? You think we can do this is like to the healthcare professionals, not to the clients or patients and kind of this is what you should be looking for I guess in a good provider what what do you recommend
2: <laughs> yeah definitely um first of all I decor. I recommend <laughs> um <laughs> I definitely recommend finding someone um like if some of this stuff or all of this stuff kind of described you um and you feel like you're a chronic dieter and you feel like you've been trapped in this weight cycling your whole life. Um, definitely recommend finding a professional to help um, Unfortunately, I think that it's not easy to do. not that there's not enough of us out there, but I think it's not always easy you know, to find or to do. Um, and I think that sucks. And I feel like that would be, I feel like that needs to be improved and worked on and I don't know how to do that, but, (laughs) um, it's definitely possible. It might just take a little bit of effort, but worth it. Um, so I think when you're looking for a professional, you know, whether it's a dietitian to help you with nutrition, um, Or a personal trainer to kind of help you with exercise, which I haven't really talked about a lot. um, Or a medical provider of some sort, doctor, nurse, or something. Um, Definitely find someone that knows that dieting and diet culture is the problem. Um, Someone that promotes and teaches intuitive eating. um, And also someone that aligns with Hayes. Um, so Hayes is health at every size, um, and I think this is such an important thing, and I think it's something that is like super misunderstood. Um, I think a lot of people think of Hayes health at every size as them saying that you can be healthy at any weight is healthy um. And that's not necessarily what they're saying. Um, so kind of the definition from the Hayes website, and I think this is important to like talk about. Um, Hayes is a shift away from a weight-centric approach to health and health care to one that highlights body diversity and behavior change to attain desired health outcomes as opposed to focusing on manipulating weight and shape. So health at every size is not saying that all bodies are healthy, but that health-promoting behavior changes can be made without focusing on a person's weight or shape. Um, so understanding that a person should not be judged um, or discriminated against based on the size of their body. Um, I think that's such a common thing that happens like, all of the time, and it sucks. Um, You see someone in a larger body, and you automatically assume, wow, that person's really unhealthy. Um, Wow, they must not care about themselves at all. Wow, they really need to lose weight. And aligning yourself with Haze is working to go against that and understanding that, first of all, you don't know anything about that person. You don't know where they are in life or why they're at that body size. Maybe that's the body size they've been at their whole life, and that's their that's their body's happy weight. Maybe that's genetics. Maybe that's a condition or an illness. Like, you have no idea. You don't know if they're, you know, engaging in health-promoting behaviors or not. So to just automatically judge someone based on, you know, their size is not helpful. Um And, you know, not only does that happen, like, all the time, but it happens a lot in the medical field. Um, And that sucks even more. Um, I think there's a lot of stories and examples of people in larger bodies going to the doctor and everything gets blamed on their weight. Everything, you know, is, oh, well, you need to lose weight and then we can look at it. Um, You know, symptoms go ignored and tests don't get done because doctors just assume that they're having these issues because they're overweight. Um, and that's not fair and that's not true or accurate. Um, and it's not okay. (laughs) Um, and that really goes for any medical professional or personal trainer. Um, so I think that's definitely a super important thing to look for when you're looking for help. Um, Go to someone who is not going to practice with non-judgment. Um, so, yes, find someone who is haze aligned. Um, and then, you know, kind of talking more to the professionals. I think it's important to remove weight from the conversation. Um, so really focus on their wanting to improve their health, not lose weight because those are not the same things. Um, So taking weight out of the conversation. As a dietitian, you know, you can still know their weight and you can use that as a tool for yourself, but you don't have to include it in the conversation with your client or your patient. Um, It doesn't have to be the focus of everything. and definitely not, like, how you measure progress. So we're not going to weigh you every week, and that's how we're measuring your progress, because that is, like, the opposite of all the points I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so definitely that. Be mindful of the words you say. Um, you know, don't talk about weight. Don't talk about um you know, good and bad foods, um, those kind of things. Just being mindful, I feel like that's kind of common sense. Um, and then definitely stay in your lane. Um, this is such an important thing for healthcare professionals. Um, and I think a lot of times some people don't stay in their lane and that can be really frustrating. So if you're a dietitian, um, refer them to a personal trainer for... Their exercise and movement. If you're a personal trainer, refer them to a dietitian, especially if you're seeing some really concerning behaviors around eating um, and movement. Like, don't give them nutrition advice, refer them to a dietitian. Um, I would say the same for doctors, but doctors are kind of a whole different breed. Um, (laughs) I have a lot of opinions on
1: doctors. Same, same. I work in a weight loss clinic. And so a lot of our patients come from doctor referrals. And like to what you were saying a few minutes ago, where like, they'll come to the the doctor's office because they have a cough, and they'll end up being referred to our clinic because of their weight. Like they don't even get treated for the cough. They just come to see us to lose weight, because that was evidently the problem for the cough. It's so frustrating. The amount of stories I've heard is just insane. It's so sad too. And they like always just feel so lost. They've been struggling their whole life and they never get answers. They just get told eat less, move more, that whole thing. And again, don't want to blame doctors because it's not what we're doing today, but (laughs) they are a big culprit of that oftentimes because they just don't learn how to treat it. And I thankfully think the Hayes approach is becoming more of a thing in terms of like the medical profession. Um, At least I hope it is, but it definitely with the older population of physicians is not always the approach they take. Um, Well, that was a great summation of kind of what we can all do as practitioners and how people who are looking for providers can go about, you know, what they should be looking for, I suppose. Kind of along with all of this, so in terms of like diet culture, dieting, do you have any personal experiences, personal experiences, excuse me, you've either had like, in your own life or that you've seen on social media or that may be like patients or friends or peers or whoever that have experienced that you kind of want to share to kind of just keep on building the awareness about all of this? Definitely. Um, I think that I kind of fall into the
2: same boat as a lot of dietitians. Um, not all dietitians. I don't want to make that categorization. Um, but I think a lot of dietitians – uh, struggled with eating, struggled with dieting, struggled with disordered eating. Um, I think a lot of dietitians struggled with eating disorders. Um, and then, you know, through all of their treatment or recovery, um, you know, they want to help other people. And so they become a dietitian. Um, and I was the same way. Um, definitely struggled with disordered eating for a large portion of my life, um, since middle school. Um, and not necessarily something that I learned, um, from my parents or anything. Um, but you just, you can't escape it. It's, it's literally everywhere, um, which is terrifying. Um, and for young kids with, you know, impressionable minds. It's it's everywhere, it's out there, you know, even if you're not seeing it in your home or from your parents, it's everywhere. Um so I've struggled with um a lot of disordered behaviors um for through middle school and high school and college and um they all kind of shifted um you know from restriction Um, to binging, to, you know, kind of like the orthorexic behaviors of, oh, I'm just being healthy when really you're not eating enough and you're exercising way too much. Um, And I kind of was called out on it um, by someone. And that's kind of when it really – you know, became apparent to me, like, I have a problem. Um, this isn't okay. And this isn't healthy. Um, and still kind of, you know, with those being healthy, like macro counting and counting calories when, you know, it's still not healthy and you're still in a really restrictive place. Um, but you're telling yourself that you're being healthy. Um, For me personally, um, I found intuitive eating dietitians on Instagram, um, and that's really what started kind of my recovery for me, um, and what kind of pushed me into being a dietitian. Um, so when I had that break from Purdue, that two-year break when I was pursuing baking, um, that's when I kind of discovered all this um, and really tried to you know work on it and work on recovering um, and really learn what intuitive eating is and how much damage I had done to my body for the past 10 years um, and how unhealthy all of it really was and that there's another way to live (laughs) Um, you don't have to live that way your entire life, um, which was really amazing. And it didn't happen overnight. Um, it took me a really long time to get to where I am today, which, you know, it's kind of crazy to look back on myself or to look back at old pictures of myself and remember the thoughts that I had about myself at that time. And you know, they were so just not good, (laughs) Um, (laughs) just really, you know, body dysmorphic and um, negative body image. Um, And so it's crazy to see where I am today um, and look back and see how far I've come. And, you know, I, I kind of did it on my own um but i don't recommend that because you don't have to um but i also you know started going to school for nutrition kind of during that process for me um and so that kind of helped me along it that doesn't happen for everyone um not everyone goes to school for nutrition to become a dietitian um so i definitely recommend going to someone for help um because i think you know, I could have saved a lot of of time and stress for myself um, if I had, you know, reach out to someone.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. I hope yeah. it definitely resonated with me <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of our audience because the more personal experiences I think they hear, the more real and relatable it becomes
1: especially from dietitians where people think that we have it all figured out like Kayla said most of us start out having no clue what we're doing we often are so trapped in diet culture because like Kayla said too there's no escaping it which I love that you said that because it's like we don't even know the difference like we don't know there is another side of it where you don't have to live like that and so people often just feel like it's the only way but what I was saying is it's so good to hear that perspective from dietitians because people think that we don't struggle with that, but we often do. It's usually how we became inspired to be dietitians, whether that's wrong or right. Can't really say that. But thankfully, most of us go through our education and learn that that style of eating and all of that is not beneficial for most people. So, yes, thank you so much for sharing all that. That was very good. That really help a lot of people, I think. Yeah,
0: definitely. This kind of wraps up the end of our episode. Kayla will kind of give you the floor. We like to do a la- a final verdict whenever we do, like, fad diets or stuff like that. But diet culture and dieting is bigger than fad <laughs> so So um, any final thoughts or comments that you'd just like to leave out there about dieting or diet culture?
2: Yeah, so um, I think this kind of touched on what Hannah said um, and kind of a good way to sum it all up, but we all basically essentially grow up in diet culture. Um, we're presented to it at a young age um, and, and it's pushed in our face our entire lives. Um, so when you hear about intuitive eating and when you hear about haze. Um, it can kind of be shocking. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have to live this way. Like, I don't have to lose weight to be healthy. Like, it's shocking and it seems not real. It seems not possible Um, because you've lived like this your whole life and it's everything you've ever known. It's everything that's ever been taught to you or shown to you. Um, So it can be really easy to be defensive. Um, I think that's something I see a lot is people are defensive of, you know, maybe the behaviors they have, or the way they eat or, you know, their diets, and that's understandable. And that's okay, because it can be shocking to hear about this and to learn that there's a way out. Um, And that you don't have to live like this for the rest of your life. Um, And I think understand that, you know, feel those feelings and it's okay to feel them. But lean into your curiosity of wanting to get out of dieting and wanting to get out of diet culture. um, And really try and learn about intuitive eating and and about haze and really try and find a dietitian um, whether that's on Instagram or a podcast or um, you know in person that can help you learn about it Um, definitely also recommend the book intuitive eating Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, that's probably the best first step you could take
1: okay now that all the heavy stuff is done Um, we have a fun bonus question today. So Kayla, we'll let you go first. We always have our guests go first with their answers, but the bonus question of the day is does ketchup go on the fries or do you put it on the side to dip your fries into? What are your thoughts and why? Um, I
2: have very strong opinions on this. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I have never in my entire life understood people who just squirt their ketchup on top of their fries. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? That's not how you eat French fries. First of all, you're not getting ketchup on all of the fries. So you're going to have some fries with a whole lot of ketchup and some fries with not very much at all. And that's not an enjoyable eating experience. Second of all, unless you shove the fries in your mouth in, like, 20 seconds, the ketchup sitting on the fries is going to make them soggy. Why would you want that? Plus, then, you either have to choose if you want ketchup on your hands while you're eating them, or if you eat fries with a fork, and that seems kind of psychotic. So, (laughs) definitely on the side. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was my biggest thing, is, like, do you get your hands dirty and, like, risk, like, picking around, or do you use a fork and look ridiculous? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I don't even need to say anything, because you already got all the points I was going to bring up. (laughs) Now I (laughs) kind of, like, ask every person that we ever meet on the podcast, like, which one is it? Yeah. Because I feel like everyone agrees, but there's got to be some weirdos who don't, obviously, or this question wouldn't exist.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like this is one that, like, if they put it on top, I don't know if, like, I want to eat around. <laughs> I'm like, what other crazy things are you doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> what other lengths will you go to? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of wrap this all up. Kayla, the audience wants to hear. I already know they're asking, where can they find you besides this one episode? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um I do have a Instagram page, um a nutrition one. It's called Making Nutrition Simple. Um I don't say I'm great at posting, but I try to be. Um it's a goal of mine, but I do have some
0: stuff on there, so cool.
1: check it out guys.
0: We'll also link it yeah. if you don't want to put in your search engine.
1: For <laughs> <laughs> whatever reason. <laughs> It's a really hard one to spell out, so I get it. (laughs) All right, Kayla. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. This is such a good perspective that you provided for us and for everyone listening. I think this will be such a good episode for people to hear. And we just really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it.
0: Yay. All right. Be sure to (laughs) tune in next week for another episode of oh the gosh digest podcast Good all job, i'm girl. saying before i mess up anything else <laughs> all righty everyone have a great day bye
1: <laughs> nice job okay okay bye <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the upbeat dietitians with your host emily krause and hannah thompson we appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us
0: in order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave
1: a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the upbeat dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.